If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Genesis chapter 18 as we resume our series, Faith of Our Fathers. Uh, last week, we had the president of Cedarville University with us uh, preaching, enjoyed his company. We had him over for dinner. He has a small family, so we thought we'd introduce him to 35 of our own. As he had, the poor man had to endure an endless procession of handshakes and bashful kids who'd rather play than meet a university president. In our story today, God comes for dinner. It's pretty amazing, and it's very dramatic. So we actually want to read the story nearly in its entirety. But here is Abraham, who has already become a man of faith. He has established himself as God's child, because in chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for what? For righteousness. And now he is developing in his faith, and we've seen that over the last few chapters. And this one is going to take it even further with some basic elements of just what it means to be a friend of God and walk with God. What does that look like in your life? And we're going to see that applicationally in Abram's or Abraham's life as God comes for dinner. So without further ado, let's look at least the first several, at least the first paragraph in this text. It says, And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and look, behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed, word means to worship, himself to the earth and said, Oh, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves after you've, you may, and then you can pass by since you've come to your servant. So they said to him, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into his tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds of milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So here is Abram. He's under this mammary tree, and suddenly three strangers just, pow, appear out of nowhere, and he is just, he's just a flurry of action, quick, quick, ran, ran, five times it says either what he did was quickly or he ran. He, he reminds me a little bit of, of air travelers. I mean, I just got back from Brazil, and I thought it was only in the United States, you know, people line up like a half hour before they're even supposed to board the plane, and I'm thinking, I've got to I've got an assigned seat. Why do I got to get in there a half hour early? It's even worse in Brazil. They, they, they made an announcement that in a half hour, we'll start to board 100 people line up. And I thought, I already got my seat guaranteed. Poor Abraham's 99 years old in this passage, and I, I think he's afraid that these three guys are going to disappear as quickly as they appeared, except that they have an assigned duty on their own, and they're not going to leave until they have given this announcement to Abraham and to Sarah before they move on. And who are these three men? 
Well, we know that one of them is the Lord. The very first verse says it's the Lord. And if you look down to verse 22, Abraham stands before one of them. That's the Lord. And then in chapter 19 and verse 1, it says the other two are angels. So we know the three men, quote unquote, are the Lord and two angels. And by the way, they actually sit down and eat. This is very interesting because this is the only time in the Old Testament where God sits down and actually eats before the incarnation when Jesus comes and does that repeatedly even after his resurrection. But what we have here is God coming for dinner, which is a beautiful picture of fellowship. And in the new, uh, that is the, the Near East customs are, customs are just sort of bleeding out of the text here. And, and there shouldn't be any surprise with the hospitality because hospitality was called the first law of the East. So it's no surprise that Abram, or Abraham rather, is serving his unexpected guests. But there are a few surprises here. Uh, for one, it, they show up in the heat of the day. This is the middle of the afternoon. This is the time for siestas. This is the time to take a break. They'd work in the morning. They worked later on toward, the, toward dusk, but they didn't work in the heat of the day. And suddenly these three guys just show up out of nowhere. And that's why I think Abraham knew they were, there was something special about them. And then the fact that Abraham is running hither and yon, wherever he's running everywhere. And it was utterly undignified for an old man to run anywhere. And I think the only reason he did that is because he sees there's something very special about these guys. And indeed, uh, there was something very special. And he does all of this. He never stops. He never stands still until his guests are eating. Did you notice that at the end of verse 8? He doesn't stop until his guests are eating. It reminds me of my wife when those, we had all these mostly family and one guest over last week and she just going in a flurry of activity. She's doing this, she's doing that, she's grabbing this. I go into the kitchen, she kicks me out. And she never stands still until everybody's sitting down to eat. In fact, then she doesn't even sit down. She, she just oversees the whole thing. She's much like Abraham. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Abraham is hurrying everywhere, running hither and yon, doing this and that. And then he's quiet, standing still, Later, in verse 22, he stands before the Lord, and you see this fascinating progression. There are times, for those of you who have entered into that faith walk, you, like Abraham, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've trusted him as your Savior. And there are times we need to be like, like Martha, not, at, not with her anxiety, but we're busy, we're serving. And other times we need to be more like Mary, just sitting before the Lord quietly. We need both, don't we? Now, back to the drama. Verse 9 says, they, they said to him, where's, where's Sarah, your wife? He said, well, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son, just as promised. And Sarah was listening in the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. He's 99, she's 90. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah, so Sarah laughed to her. I mean, Wouldn't you? She laughed to herself quietly, saying, after I'm worn out my, and my Lord's old, am I going to have this kind of pleasure? Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. He said, yeah, you did. 
And if ever a verse could be yanked out of context, it's that 14th verse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You need to underline that and believe that. We'll come back to this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We have to ask ourselves that rhetorical question and answer it. No, a thousand times no, nothing is too hard for God. And while earlier in chapter 16, God was described as seeing Hagar, my God sees me, remember that? Here he sees inside Sarah. He sees inside of you. And there's no hiding, and you can deny it, but... And she denies it, doesn't she? When she, I didn't do that. Yes, she did. I mean, in this day, with all these sexual predators and perverts that are, that are coming to light in Hollywood and with even in the area of government, I, I'm reminded that nothing is, all, nothing is always constantly covered. Everything is eventually exposed before God. Not a word is hidden, Jesus said. All will come to light. So I would just say to you, because none of your denials hold up with God, isn't that the case here? You know, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. Oh. If you're going to have to admit it later, why don't you just admit it now? I, I, I just can't believe the excuses that even Christians come up with for their lies, for the things they say, for what motivates them. If you're going to have to admit it later, just admit it now. Live a life wide open before God and before God's people. At any rate, let's get back to the drama. Verse 16. Now, then the men set out from there and they looked down from Sodom. The meal is over. They're taking off. The three men, the Lord and the two angels, looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went out with them. He walks with them, set them on their way. The Lord said, apparently to the others, but within earshot of Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has uh, promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down, listen to this, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, this passage and others like it have confused many Christians. And actually, it's these kinds of passages that aid and abet a heretical view called open theism. It's this view that sees God as less than omniscient, sees God as sort of rolling, you know, rolling with things. He doesn't see the future super clearly in all of its details, so he just sort of, but he's God, so he can kind of figure it out as he goes. This is foolishness. The purpose of this open discussion that God has before Abraham is to show, listen to this, that God is not capricious. That is, he doesn't act on a whim. He doesn't judge and destroy without fully vetting and investigating everything completely and thoroughly. And so when God says, I will go down to see, he's letting Abraham know that nothing is hidden from God. 
He says, I will know because God does know. And by the way, we do this all, parents do this all the time. You tell Johnny to pick up his toys. Johnny says, okay, he goes downstairs, he comes back. So you go downstairs and you see the toys are still scattered. So you go back up and you say, hey, Johnny, did you pick up your toys? Yeah. Let's go down and see. You already know the answer to that because you know. But you got to bring Johnny down there just to confirm the whole thing, right? Well, here's the deal. God, our view of God is so important to our walk with God, and it should be a constantly growing thing. It, it is with Abraham. In fact, if you were to look at Psalm 50, you don't need to go there, but in Psalm 50, uh, God is rebuking the children of Israel because they just have this, among other things, they have a very bizarre view of God. The pagans in Bible times thought when they'd offer sacrifices, physical animal sacrifices, that they were actually feeding their gods. And so God in Psalm 50 says, if, if I was hungry, would I tell you? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need you. But there is this a very interesting, insightful point that God makes in Psalm 50. He says, you thought I was just like you. Have you ever read that? You should underline that in Psalm 50. This is half our problem right here. Having bizarre views of God. You thought I, the problem with many Christians is they mistake similarity with sameness. We are not, God is not exactly the same as us and we're not exactly the same as God. Can I get an amen? There, are there similarities? Yes. But don't mistake similarity with sameness. In, in reality, God here and in other places in scripture, listen to me, he shows us his love by, watch this, coming down to our level of comprehension. We call this an anthropomorphism. We used this expression a couple of months ago. That's what God does. Our level of comprehension does not allow us to know things before they happen. So God presents himself as one who must investigate before judging. And in truth, that's exactly what God does in this passage. That's what he means when he says, I'm going to go down there and see if this outcry that's coming up to me is true. Not, listen to this, not so that he can discover something that he doesn't already know. Rather that he might show us, Abraham and us, that God is just in all of his ways. That's why Isaiah said, God says in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. Have you ever read that? God is otherly. So stop mistaking similarity with sameness, the air of open theism. So now, at this point, Abraham is getting it. He's starting to see that the reason God and these angels are going down towards Sodom is because of their wickedness. And the Bible says that Abraham stood still before the Lord, which is a good place to be, by the way especially when tragedy is looming. And it was looming. 
And the dialogue between Abraham and God at this point is exceedingly insightful. In fact, Abraham makes a great statement, another showstopper in this drama, when he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do its just do its right? What's the re- that's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? What's the answer? Yes, of course he will. Listen, no matter how troubling this world gets, no matter how troubling your world gets, that verse of scripture, which we're going to put back up, is true. God, the righteous judge, will always do what is right. Always. If you are a friend of God, then what do we do with our friends? We trust them, do we not? We trust our friends. And Abraham was a friend of God. The Bible tells us he was a friend. James tells us they were friends. God says in the book of of Isaiah, Abraham is my friend. And when someone is our friend, we trust our friends. And what better friend to trust than God? Jesus said, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I call you what? Your friends. I remember several years ago, a young theology student went through the line after I quoted in my message. I, quoted, I gave a quote from Warren Wiersbe, well-known Bible commentator and pastor. Many of us have his great books. And I quoted him. And he's, he went through the line and says, hey, he says, I heard you. It was kind of neat that you quoted yeah, Dr. Wiersbe, I said, yeah, he's a great guy. He goes, yeah, you know, he's my friend. I said, yeah, right. He'll snot-nosed kid, tell me he's your friend. He goes, no, he, he's my friend. The young man was from Lincoln, Nebraska, went into a church where Warren Wiersbe was. They struck up a friendship. He had a standing all-afternoon meeting with Warren Wiersbe every other week. So he took me with him one day. <laughs> no, I'm his friend. Not really, but I'm a friend of a friend. <laughs> Hey, look, it's one thing to be a friend of a great man. It's another thing to be friends with a great God. And you have an opportunity to befriend God in Jesus Christ when God comes for dinner. Abraham, in this passage, seems to be listening in as if by design to the discussion between the Lord and these two angels. And he's, he's, he's got it. He's figured it out. There is of certainty, there is destruction coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. And his nephew is there. You know, the one that he got a posse together, and, and, you know, in chapter 14 of 318 guys that went and rescued. He's down there. He's going to become collateral damage. He's doing business in the gate. And so this, this preempts a fascinating dialogue between Abraham and God as Abraham stands quietly before God, but then begins to talk with God and beseech him and intercede. It's an amazing dialogue. Abraham, who has been chosen by God, has dined with God, walked with God, is now interceding before God. And there's this series of of six what-ifs. So Abraham, knowing God's going to destroy this place, you know, what if, you know, there's like, like 50 righteous people. I mean, you're going, to knock, you're going to knock this place off for 50. God said, no, if there's 50 down there that are righteous, I won't do it. 45? Not for 45. Just whittles them all the way down to 10. 
God says, if there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy the place. By the way, if you do the numbers, you do the math, you look at the next chapter, you figure it out on your own. So in Abraham's mind, there's Lot, his wife, there's like 10 in his family. And Abraham, in his mind, he's thinking, I just averted judgment again. But he wrongly assumed that everyone in the family of Lot were righteous because they weren't. He also wrongly assumed that just because God would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, Lot would be caught up as collateral damage. And clearly God had other plans, namely to listen to Abraham's prayer. And the heart, what was really at his heart was to rescue his nephew. Through it all, including impending judgment, destruction, Abraham in this passage is growing. He's growing in his walk with God, his friendship with God. And if you know Christ is your Savior, you can too. This is, there's some great application here. What, what, what should you do? What should I do when God comes for dinner? Let me just suggest five things as we make our way to the Lord's table here. First, you should worship him. That makes sense, doesn't it? Worship him. Abraham bows down. The word means to worship. And I know that Bible students, they, they wrestle with this. I think that was just, some say, well, it was just Eastern custom. He was just being uh, gracious. But I think there's something more to that. Because very clearly to me as I've studied this, Abraham saw right out of the get-go, there's something different about these three men. And he soon discovers that one is the Lord. And it sort of illustrates the early days of the Christian life where God, as we, as we worship the Lord, we, might, we don't have it all figured out. We don't know any better. We're kind of like the blind man in John chapter 9, you know, who gets healed by Jesus. And the, and the leadership says, you know, hey, you know, you know, tell us about this guy. We know he's a sinner. And remember the blind guy goes, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. That's not good theology. But yet there was something endearing about that. It's a little bit like the guy I talked about a week ago and, uh, when I gave the report on Brazil, Giovanni, who came to Christ. Lucas, our, our, our Brazilian missionary, had led this wealthy businessman to Christ. He had a, just, a, just a bunch of stuff going on in his life that were just, he was just, he was losing money. Everything was going down. And Lucas had prayed and God miraculously answered. His business was saved. And this guy saw God. And believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saved today. But what happens, brand new Christian, he's worshiping God. And it's in the culture there. It's, very, it's rife with spiritism. So some witch comes in and says, I want to cleanse the place. She's going around. And he just says, okay, I guess that's what you do. So she's going around trying to root out all the bad gods and bring in the good gods. And he knows there's something wrong here, but doesn't quite get it figured out. But right off to the side is a box. How coincidental. On the box that was sent to his business, in big, bold print, was 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. As this brand new Christian worshiped God, God was protecting him. Worship God. Give him all of his worth all day long, as a, whether you're a new Christian or a seasoned Christian. Here, secondly, I think when God comes near you, worship him, you serve him. We see this in this flurry of activity. Abraham's going all over the place, he's serving. He's doing, he, you know, he kills this good calf and 
makes this, has Sarah do all this, gets a servant to do that. My friend Keith Carlson told me a couple weeks ago, he said, quote, Pat, we've raised up a generation of hearers, not doers. And I think he's right. James said, be doers of the word, not what? Hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Half of the cell group that I lead, half of them are brand new Christians. So we're studying a great book in the Bible for new Christians, 1 John. And John is very black and white. And he says, if, if, you, if, if you really love me, you're going to obey me, just like Jesus said. And we talked about that. I mean, what does it mean to love God? How is our love for God proven? Is it when we raise a hand in worship? If we raise two hands, we really love him, right? Is it when we study all the great theologies of the scripture? All this is important. All this is good. And I'm, I'm all for demonstrative worship. But the Bible makes it clear. If you love me, you will obey me. So if we are going to be those who are friends of God, who comes over for dinner, we need to be worshiping him. We need to be serving him. Are you serving him? Thirdly, we should listen and believe him. Sarah was certainly listening in, right? <laughs> kind of a busybody. But she was listening in, but she wasn't believing. She laughed. We could say, we can understand you. The woman's 90 years old. But it was God who was talking here. It was God who said, you're going to have a child. She listened, but she didn't believe, so she named her kid Laughter. And she would be perpetually reminded of her unbelief in that moment. Every single one of us need to have tattooed on our brains God's own word to Sarah is anything too hard for the Lord. We should listen and believe God. Fourthly, we should walk with him. This Abraham walks with God. He walks with him all the way to where he can see down toward Sodom. And God continually reveals himself to Abraham in the process as he stands before God. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is in a few chapters from now when Abraham's servant goes off to look for a wife for his son. And I love the testimony of that servant. When he comes back after having these wild answers to prayer, he says this, As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. And that's how God does it. As we walk with God, he reveals things to us. Our own evangelism pastor, former missionary Chuck DeClean, is down in Ecuador, his former stomping grounds. He brought a number of individuals with him, not the least of which our son. And why is he even there? Why would he go? Just want to just kind of see what it's like in another country? No. In his desire to walk with God, he's hoping God will reveal his will in his life. And that's what God does. As you walk with God, he will reveal his will for you. Be assured of that. Be assured of it. And finally, finally, you should request of God. You should bring your request. You should intercede. And this is what we find Abraham doing at the very end. It's interesting. When Lot got in trouble, remember we got kidnapped by those kings? Abraham gets up a posse of 300-plus elite crack troops and goes after him and gets them, just like you've done with, as parents for your kids when they get in trouble when they're little. But after they leave the house, you can't, you can't form a posse 
but you can go to prayer. Abraham had rescued Lot with a posse. Now he rescues him in prayer. And let me tell you something. No human army on earth can match the army of God that's dispatched through our prayers, through our intercession before the king of kings. And this is what Abraham does. This is what's going to save. This is going to be the answer. The scripture is going to tell us later on. This is what God listened to. God loves it when we stand before him on behalf of others. He loves that. We're interceding with the interceder, the Lord Jesus, amen? Whoever lives to make intercession for us, as I told you several weeks ago, you don't live for Jesus. Jesus lived for you. Ever living to make intercession for you. So run to him who lives for you. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, he went to a certain home for dinner. Remember that? Luke chapter 24. He'd been walking along the Emmaus Road with those two. And they, you know, basically convinced him to come, though, you know, again. It's not like he was not going to. But there he broke bread in front of those two Emmaus disciples. And as soon as he broke bread, their eyes were opened. And they saw him, and he vanished. And they looked at one another and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the word to us as we walked along the road? Are any of your hearts burning within you right now? Burning to invite God to dinner. Some of you have never by faith invited Jesus into your heart. And he said to a certain church in the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at your door and I knock. If anyone will open the door, invite me in, I will come into him, I'll dine with him. So, well, I thought that was written to a church. Yeah, and there's plenty of unsaved here in the church. If you aren't a Christian, Invite Jesus into the heart of your life and dine with him forever. For the rest of us, this is the Lord's table. You are, God has come for dinner. And as dinner is served, know that these elements of bread and juice, they're, they're symbols. They're not going to make you holier for the taking but they're powerful symbols of the perfect life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus. And as you meditate on those two truths over the next few moments, ask yourself, have you invited Jesus into your life? Have you trusted him as your savior? If you have, then dinner is served. If you haven't, receive him who described himself as the very bread of your life and find eternal life. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we're grateful today for your word and for this dramatic story of your showing up, or Jesus showing up in this Christophany, in his pre-incarnate person, 
to Abram or Abraham with a couple of angels and all that took place here. And we see so much development in Abraham's life. You reassured your promise to him and to Sarah. And I pray we might find some practical application from this passage today. Lord, help us to be those who are friends of you, worshiping you, serving you, listening and believing you, walking with you, and spending time before you in prayer and request as we dine with you today. I pray for those who have never received Jesus in this room. If that's you, dear friend, you're still an outsider looking in. Come to the table and believe in Jesus. Trust him as your savior right now. For those of us who have, may we enjoy true fellowship with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.